Welcome to ICA Podcast 9. The goal of ICA Podcast 9 is to provide insightful information about the industry to members and non-members of Intercoiffure America Canada, the voice for salon owners. Each week we'll bring business, educational and inspirational topics to aid anyone with ties to the beauty industry. We will have a revolving series of hosts pulling from industry leaders as hosts and guests to keep things lively and interesting and make you wonder what's coming next. Now, here's this week's edition of ICA Podcast 9. So, good morning, uh, Ray. Good morning. So, uh, I would like to introduce you to the people that will be listening to us. And as you know, um, this is Intercoffee America Canada podcast, but we have opened it up to the industry, to the schools, and to um, independence, to manufacturers, everybody. So the whole industry, and we even have uh, listeners from around the world, other than of course your salons global. So you will be, um, we'll be speaking to all of them through our conversation. So I want to thank you for being a part of this podcast and also for being a part of Intercoffure America Canada. And uh, you've got such a huge, huge reputation, not only in Canada, but in America for the things that you have done within the industry and for the industry. So let's start by having you tell me the number of salons you have. And I think you have a school or two schools, right? You tell me all the things that you have related to this industry right now. Oh, well, Sheila, first of all, thank you very much for having me here today. And, uh, very nice compliments. And it's, uh, it's certainly, uh, it's exciting actually uh, to, to note that we are um, really uh, being much more inclusive. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that's one of the sentiments I think that is very important um, coming out of uh, this last year, you know, to really open ourselves up in this world and uh, welcome everyone into a sharing process, which only engages us all to just become better at who we are. So thanks uh, for all of that. And I currently, and I say currently because it's always in flux. There's a, there's always a fluidity in my life. There's always a lot of change that, it, that takes place. I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a cha- I, I'm, I, I've always accepted change, although there's always four stages of that acceptance. I just try to accelerate through the four stages so it doesn't take forever to get there. But, um, but I, I currently am I'm probably at the smallest in terms of my uh, salon offering. We have five salons right now, uh, four of which are in Toronto and Toronto, Canada, and one which is in Vancouver, British Columbia. And we have one school in, uh, in Toronto. Um, and uh, that's, uh, that's certainly, uh, you know, when, with uh, pre-COVID, uh, we, were, uh, we were certainly, we had a lot more um, pre-COVID, we had more. And, and downsizing has been a very interesting part of the journey in that understanding when it's time to say goodbye, when it's time to shut down, uh, when it doesn't make sense anymore to continue to pursue something in life. Uh, it takes a lot of courage. It's, uh, it, you know, all losses are mourned in some capacity or another, but it's also gives you the opportunity of course, to begin something else. You have to, you know, if, you, if your capacity is, is great and you have a lot of room for things, letting go of something doesn't mean that you're diminished. It only means that this now, it's time that cycle is over. And now you have this big, beautiful opening 
to fill with something new? Well, reorganization has always been a standard part of large corporations uh, in the business world, right? And I think that in our industry, we, we have very few times, and I can speak for myself, that I've reorganized everything uh, just because I thought I needed to rather than because something happened that forced me to and it turned out to be better. So I see this in our industry as a way of reorganizing, reuniting, um, reinventing. I mean, I think this is the year of re, RE, right? We've redone everything. So tell me about your... Um, how you reorganized, because I know you, you've downsized, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, considerably. And how long did that take you and what made you think that you needed to do it now rather than later? Well, Sheila, you know, I, I, I've gone from over 600 employees to now um, somewhere in the area of about uh, 270 employees. That's a considerable shift. Yes. Uh, and, and it's, it is considerably uh, a different exercise in leadership as well as, as culture. Um, and it, it, it's the reasons are, are, again, it's cyclical. Life is very cyclical. You, 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 you go off in a journey and you explore its full potential, but I think it's very important to recognize, <clears throat> excuse me, it's recognize when it's time um, to reinvent. I, like, I love the word reinvent. I use it all the time. I recommend it highly to people who are coming to the end of any cycle, any life cycle, to reinvent yourself. In order to do that, you've got to go and do something different with yourself first because you have to change yourself. Something about you has to change first before we can actually venture off into something new. So at one point, I had uh, 16 salons, four schools, distribution across Canada for Aveda products. Um, and 16 retail stores in all the major malls. Wow, amazing. Yeah, that amazing. was- Amazing. <laughs> we were busy. We were very, very busy at that yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what part of the industry tends to stimulate you the most other than just business? Because I know you well enough now that Business is definitely um, a stimulant for you, any type of business. I mean, I love talking to you about finances and think changes and things like that. But within our industry, which part of it has stimulated you the most throughout the years? You know, I, I, it's, a, it's a tricky question to answer because I feel very, very fortunate Sheila, I, I've had so many different roles in this industry. You know, I, I probably would characterize myself as a creative entrepreneur. So I have a very, very creative approach in that I don't seek to always do what everyone else is doing. I always try and find a different way of doing that. And at the same time, I'm always looking also at where the monetary op opportunity might be. So I think I'm a creative entrepreneur. But, you know, I, I started off as a hairdresser behind the chair working at a, at a salon. I apprenticed and worked really hard. And and became very successful behind the chair and then became uh, the lead educator in our salon, which then led me to a platform artist opportunity. So I, I got to do lots of shows um, in North America at the time 
And, uh, and then I became a session hairdresser. I left the salon world and became a session hairdresser. I went to Europe, I went to New York and was working only in studio. And then from there, I opened my own agency, the first agency to represent freelance hair, makeup, wardrobe, photographers. So I was a creative, I was a creative director and managing talent at the same time, but only for production work. And then we opened up a studio to accompany that because we had so many freelancers that needed somewhere to work. And we did that. And then we had a recession in 1988. And um, I was, again, at that point where I had to reinvent myself. So I thought, I'd really like to do a salon that no one has ever done before. And I think the salon should be a very high touch experience, very, very experienced people who know how to take care of people, as opposed to the environment at the time was still, uh, hairdressers were still okay with being late. They were okay with having five people waiting for them on, in the waiting area. There was a different dynamic happening at that time. And I wasn't okay with any of it. In fact, I, I really pushed myself away from the industry quite a bit for a number of years because I was doing all these other things. And I had an idea to, to create a high touch environment um, that of course the quality of the hair had to be outstanding because I've never been, I've never been interested if it wasn't the best quality hair, but the service piece was missing. So we, we created a credo to service that was never say no, let's get, to a point where everyone is trained to understand that the power of our touch is equally as important, if not more so, than the quality of our haircuts and our hair color. And, and so to convince hairdressers at the time, they thought I was crazy, but to convince them and to train them to do that became my quest. And that salon in 1989, in the height of recession, hit a million dollars after six months, which was unheard of. Even today, that's still a number. So it, it did matter to people to be touched in those times. And I learned a lot during that because I realized, you know, the role of the salon in society is far greater than the one that is really what most people think it is. You know? So it, it does present this incredible well of, of, uh, of caring and that caring when genuine, when coming from the, the right place, um, it, it transcends and, and, and is able to help individuals from the outside working inward to, to feel much better about who they are and how they feel about themselves. And it's very powerful and it's a big responsibility. And when done really well as a group, um, it's just a magical, magical place. You know, I, I read a study recently coming out of Italy. It's um, it'd probably be published, I would think in the next little while, but it talked about people um, coming out of COVID. They said something like 60% of men and women coming out of COVID in the first lockdown had been physically or mentally abused on some level or another. And when they asked them why they were going back to the hair salon for the first time, they said, was it for the haircut? They were given options as to what the reason was. And the haircut ranked actually much lower than what we might've thought, even though they'd been in lockdown and hadn't had a haircut or hair color being done. But they said, no, it was to dip back into the well to build their self-esteem. They were going yeah. there or self-esteem. That's why they were going. They weren't going to get haircuts and hair color only. So, um, so we built that business based on that and, and a caring culture was always what, you know, I believe was uh, the purpose for, for being. And, uh, and so we did that. We were able to build that salon, which led to a number of other experiences and meeting Horst Rekobaka, the founder of Aveda. Um, and he became a mentor for me. And uh, he brought me into Aveda. And, and when I, when I uh, actually started working um, there, I became creative director for Aveda Corporate. And then I became global VP of education 
So I had an, a foot in education and a foot in creativity, which is really, you know, I'm very comfortable in both. Um, and was able to help, uh, I think, in, in contribute um, in both those areas for Aveda. And, uh, and then from there, you know, the distribution model grew and, and it, you know, sort of my entrepreneurial uh, energy and spirit has just carried on and continued to do what I do. What was one of the biggest services of touch that you think um, is the most important for when a uh, guest comes into your uh, place of service? Well, I, I think that, you know, um, when we recognize that, you know, people haven't been touched, some people haven't been touched in months and months with COVID, and you recognize that there is this power in touching someone. So whether it's the handshake at the very beginning, if it's, you know, someone you don't know as well, the hug, that first moment of contact, a sincere hug, heart-to-heart -heart hug, and, and, you know, a hand massage or a neck and shoulder massage or, you know, a hot towel on someone's face or just, or even just when you're brushing the hair off with kindness, when you do that, right. that all those moments of touch, and, and this is science now, we're talking about endorphins, we're talking about an immune system kicking up. This is a very, this is happening, this is real biology at work. And uh, so it's very powerful when we do that. And, and I think that when we remember that and when we teach, of course, all of our new professionals, how important that first moment of contact is, you know, because if you give a limp handshake and your eyes are looking somewhere else, you know, and, or you, you kind of turn your back and say, you know, you barely utter, follow me. Um, these are not, these are not high touch moments. These are not. Right. So. I just read a study a couple of nights ago about the power of touch during the pandemic. And they said that one of the reasons they think that there's going to be a upturn or a spike in most of this COVID now is because people's immune systems are lower, not because they're exposed to it in a in more. But um, more that they've missed the touch and they've missed uh, being with people. So therefore their immune systems are down. And, yeah. and a lot of the people you know, when they're in the hospital for a long time, they come out, the first thing they want to do is get shampooed and get that touch. You know, it's, it's safe, right? You're not really that personal, but you are so personal when you're getting a good uh, massage on your head. Uh, even if you can't touch their hands or the rest, you know, their shoulders or anything like that. But I think you're right. It's the power of touch is the, the specialty of our industry. And if you do it well, you will be quite successful. Mm. Yeah, you, you mentioned something about the immune system. There's a famous study that they did with uh, premature babies. It was actually done in Florida. And they took uh, five premature babies, uh, sorry, 10, a group of 10, it was a study group. They did 10 and every day the nurses would come in and they would massage the little, the, the group of five. So five, they didn't massage. The other five, they massaged every day with their fingers as they were tiny every single day. And they found, I think it was after six weeks, that the ones they massaged every day grew twice their weight as opposed to the group that they didn't massage every day. So this is a, you know, this is very powerful. What you were just, you just reminded me of that study where the immune system was building up. Of course, they were being touched with love by these nurses. And of course they were growing where the right. other ones were deprived of human touch and they weren't. 
it releases so much of that internal uh, immunity and confidence uh, when we feel like that we're apart and we're we're sharing it. And it, it, it does transfer. My energy transfers to your energy, which is really, uh, it's amazing to me. I see people come in feeling bad and when they leave, they feel so much better. It's a, it's a gift that we have in our industry, isn't it? Well, if I came to you, I'm pretty sure I'd be leaving feeling pretty damn good every time. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good touch. <laughs> I'm sure. So do you. Hey, so let's talk about where we are right now in the industry. Um, I know Canada is totally different. Uh, you've got more lockdowns going on now than we have here. Um, so do you see very many salons like downsizing or deciding to cut their hours or what's going on in Canada right now? Well, yeah, I mean, the lockdowns um, have, have certainly, there's a second lockdown right now happening in, uh, in quite a few of the provinces. So um, what you have are, uh, for the most part, we were able to operate at 50% capacity when we were able to reopen. And most salons were closed for three months. So coming back at 50% meant that everybody had to open longer hours uh, to accommodate, to accommodate the number of stylists that you may have had. So on average, I would say most salons were operating between 30, 35% less revenue than they were pre-COVID. Uh, so right. it, wasn't, it wasn't bad. The second closure, and, and for the most part, they were all surviving on a break-even on a financial side, on a break-even because of subsidies, because there's wage subsidies and there were some rent subsidies, which wasn't consistent. Some got, some didn't get. Um, but they, you know, I think the hope was that we would, December was important and it was starting to, you know, we were starting to get some momentum. December was, and we said, close the salons down in December when there are, have been no cases, no outbreaks of COVID in any hair salon because the salons in Canada did an outstanding job at, at, at really following protocol, keeping their salons clean, welcoming you know, guests with all the, all the cautionary uh, uh, protocols that were required and then some. So we had no outbreaks. We had two nail shops at the very beginning, two nail shops that let too many people in. That was the, it was a minor case. That was the only thing that happened. And it was like, you know, eight months ago. And now uh, to have these salons closed, I feel badly because I do feel that it's going to contribute to bankruptcy for more salons. I, I don't see how they survive it. So I, I, yeah. think, I think we're going to see, um, you know, I, I don't know about the legacy salons so much, but then again, they have the biggest overhead. So it really does depend on how many people they lose. Um, right. They did have a huge exodus, right? Massive exodus. The, the amount of movement in, in the salon world, we've never seen anything like that. We've never seen so many people um, move salons, shift salons, go to chair rental, booth rental, suite rental. You know, it, they're, they're, this, was a, this was a ground zero kind of uh, uh, event where because uh, we were in lockdown for whatever period of time, it allowed people to really think a lot about their future and make different decisions that they might not have ever made um, had that not happened. And, and a lot of people chose to leave the salons they were working in. Um, and they, I think they, there was a safety net there, or false or real, where people thought, well, my clients aren't going to anyone else in the salon because they can't just go there because everybody's in lockdown. So if I'm ever going to make a move now, would be a good time to do that. And right. um, so I think that, you know, we're, we're, we're going to emerge out of this very different looking and, you know, than, than we did before, obviously, like everything else, we're, we're going to look different. 
And then in that difference is where we have to find you know, all the new opportunities, which is cyclical, you know, it's all cyclical. We'll, we'll see. Right. So uh, I know here in America, we're seeing a, a large increase in beauty school um, students. I mean, they're, they're signing up for, to go to beauty school. Are you seeing that in Canada? Our school's full, full. It's completely full. It's and full. I mean, why do you think? Well. Why do you think now we have an an up or insurge of people coming into our industry? I think it's because the number of job opportunities out there and what people are looking at in terms of future, they're they're not seeing a lot of other opportunities. Unfortunately, the option to become a hairstylist. Um, isn't always a, a, an option of passion and, you know, and a desire to want to do it. It's sometimes, and for a lot of people, they go into it because they can't think of anything else to do. And, and it's really not, and that's why we have so many people drop out of, you know, first year right, right out of hair school, because it's not, when they realize actually it's work, <laughs> they, they thought it wasn't work. They thought, oh, that looks like an easy thing I could do. Um, no, it's work and it's wonderful work if you're good at it and you love it. But uh, at any rate, I think that's why. I think it's, uh, you know, the, the, the schools have always done well when when economy isn't necessarily um, forecasting growth going forward. And I think there's gonna be, I don't think we've seen yet, uh, you see Wall Street tells a different story. You know, if you're watching Wall Street and stocks and things like that, it's, it's saying everything's great. NASDAQ is led and Tesla and so on and so forth. But the reality on the street is a very different reality. You know, the lineups to get food, families getting food, yesterday is is up at levels that we have never seen before 44 percent of them are first-time families coming to look for food for support for food so that i think we're going to see more uh in the real economy more downside and uh and i think that uh, um why hairdressing looks attractive to people is because I, I don't think they fully understand what's involved in being a hairdresser and that's why so if you could give a piece of advice to a student coming into this industry or anybody who's looking to come into the industry, what would be the main advice that you would give them for to have a, an excellent career in this industry? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think the first thing I always say to people that are coming in the industry, and I, I do, I do uh, teach at the school. I do a lot of lectures at the school. And, you know, one of the first things I say, do you love people? Do you love touching people? Because if you don't, <laughs> this isn't going to work out very well for you. Right. So we just talked about that. But I think that's one of the most important. Learning um, how to touch people with love is, is going to help you a great deal to become successful. And then I talk about, are you prepared to do the work, the work in studying your craft and really uh, putting the hours into practicing and practicing and practicing because you want to be as good as you can be with comb and scissors and brushes as you possibly can. And that's going to take hours and hours and hours of your time working on mannequins, working on people devoted to learning how to improve constantly. And are you prepared to do that for your whole career? Hopefully. Um, and, and I think those two things also, I, I talk to them a lot about physical demands. I say, are you, are you got to be, you know, physically prepared to stand on your feet for long hours with your arms in the air like this, you know, for long hours every day. So you've got to look after yourself. Or, you know, do you have a program? Do you look after yourself? If you don't, even stretching, yoga, Pilates, those types of activities are probably best suited for a long-term successful career in hairdressing. 
Uh, I was, you know, th those are the, the key things that, that I tried to prepare them for the physical, the, the emotional heart filled one, which is a bit more on the spiritual side. And then of course, on the financial side, I always ask them how much money they, they want to make, you know, and they say a hundred thousand and I quickly sit down and go, okay, let's do it. Let's figure out what a hundred, how many people do you have to see every day to get to a hundred thousand? And what do you think you want to charge for your haircuts and your hair color services? We do the math very quickly for them to help them figure out how they're going to make that kind of money to be realistic. Right. If you're not prepared to see at least, you know, eight people a day, because four isn't going to do it four, three days a week is 12 clients a week. You're not going to be able to survive. Until right. <laughs> well, you brought up something really interesting that most people don't uh, advise the students on, and that's the physical part of it. It's, um, it's, it's not that we're actually running and doing all that stuff, but the physical part of the repetitive way we use our body and our hands can cause problems within our, and you're right, we have to be able to do stretching and movement. And um, it's, it's more physical than most people realize. Indeed. So yeah. let me ask you something else. Um, what would be, who was your biggest mentor? Oh, I, there were two that were significant. John Steinberg, uh, who, uh, who owned and operated the Rainbow Room in Toronto, uh, during right, right at the cusp of the eighties, it was the most outrageous place to, to be and do what we were doing every day. No one ever wanted to go home. We never wanted to go home. We, we were just always creating, we were always making, we were always working and we loved each other and we loved each other's work. We would stop in the middle of a haircut and go over to the other, other chair where someone was doing a haircut and go, are you for real? That is so incredible. And, and, and that would turn into a photo shoot. We'd be there till midnight. No one would go home. And we, even though we weren't necessarily doing the hair, we were just there with our friends doing that. Right. That happened at least once, twice a week. And uh, we did shows that uh, we brought Irving Raskin. That's how I met Trevor Sorby. All of those were friends of John's. And so he was able to bring them in. And we, uh, we had such a good time. And that was a wonderful period in my life. Maybe the most creative period. Crazy, very crazy, but certainly the most creative period in my, uh, in my hairdressing career in the salon world, outside of the session world, which was very different. And then uh, Horst undoubtedly was a, a massive influence on my life. I, I, when I met Horace for the first time, he was actually on, a, on the floor of a nightclub and we were introduced to one another. And, and I had been sending him uh, images because I'm a photographer and I live in that world very comfortably. So I was trying to influence his, his uh, Aveda images, which I at the time thought could be better and maybe wrongly or arrogantly or whatever it might've been, I just thought, maybe I could get his campaign. And so I was sending him images. I'd never got any responses and had never met. And we met for the first time. And then he went, is it you that's sending me all those pictures from Canada? I said, yeah, it's me. He goes, oh, I love your work. And he gave me a big hug. Then he asked me what I was doing tomorrow, the next day. And I said, I was probably flying back to Toronto. He said, no, you have to come to my house. We have a big distributor meeting and I want you to come to it. I'd never been to a distributor meeting. And I sat beside him along with David Wagner and Paul Villeneuve, and there's three hairdressers, and I loved the way he conducted the meeting. Every time he, the distributors would want to do something, and they were all really smart guys, wonderful people. They you know, helped create that brand to what it is today. And then at the end, he would always, before making a decision, he'd look at the three of us, the three hairdressers, and he wanted our opinion. See, Horst never made any, any decisions without the hairdresser's opinion. 
right? He always included the right. highly valued hairdresser's opinion. So I, I listened to, to him for years and years and, and I realized he, he had a great vision. And, uh, and so as the distributor and as creative director and head of education for that brand, I, I always try to bring his brand to life, my interpretation of his, his message, his vision. So he had, a, he had a very different kind of influence, but a, a massive one on, uh, on, my, uh, on my career as well. And my families, you know, and, you know, extended beyond that, you know, family and friends and an entire network of and how many people, you know, we all, that ripple effect that influenced everyone. So what are you looking um, to add to your resume and <laughs> your, but what, what are you working on on your bucket list? Something that you haven't done because being the entrepreneur you are, I know that you're not sitting still, you're looking at doing something else. So can you give us a little hint of what you might be doing or want to do? Um, okay, if you twist my arm. <laughs> um, well, I, I, as I said before, I love this industry. I, I love it because it's unique and, and, and I live in, 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 you know, in my world and, and what, I, what I have been in this industry, I have gotten back tenfold, a hundredfold. It's always, always given back so much to me on many levels, my friendships, um, the work opportunities. I, I got to do so many different things. I mean, I had 20 careers within this industry. So I, I never ever woke up and didn't love to go to work. It's never happened. Um, and so I'm grateful. I'm, I'm really, truly grateful that I chose correctly, um, you know, at 18 years of age. Uh, I chose for, for different reasons then, obviously I had no idea, but I chose correctly. And, and here I am today after um, four decades of being in the uh, in the industry, and uh, I've done a lot, and I and I've really enjoyed every role I've been in. But there was one I always wanted to do that I never had the opportunity to do, um, which was um, um, to to create a new company uh, that would make products for our industry, make them differently um, with innovation, of course, and high performance, um, but um, but to really try to partner with salons in a new way to try to help salons. Um, this is a, 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 an era now of caring where, where the salons need help. Our industry, um, you know, we can, we can try to look down the road and say, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be that, it's gonna be this, but we have to get there. And there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a period now of the next two years where we have to really stay together and work together and share together. We really gotta to stick together. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I've been working on a model, a business model, and a beautiful uh, product line. Can I say what it is? Sure. Um, so, uh, with my partner, Lupe Voss, and, and myself, uh, we've created a hair color line uh, that's called Color Space, which has uh, got a lot of wonderful science and innovation uh, in it, and, and it has, you know, great education support. Lupe Voss is well-known, of course, for her education. And, right. and we've been making wonderful videos and tools for virtual. And then, of course, to hopefully um, in the next six to eight months, we're hoping to be back in salons doing great classes because it's way more fun to be live, for, especially for education. It's way more fun. And, and then a business model, which offers um, salons a profit uh, margin uh, per application and per gram of hair color 
that um, that is unmatched because our our model it's a virtual model. This is a pure 100% virtual business model. We are B two B. We we go direct to our salons, and um, and in doing so, we're able to of course eliminate so much of the waste in layers that charge for that to exist. So we're right. able to pass that on directly um, to our salons. So it's a bit disruptive in that sense. Um, and uh, so far, uh, you know, we've good for three weeks now, I think, and uh, we did a social media launch. We launched our products on January the 11th, but we've had over uh, 500 salons all register on our site for, uh, that are interested, and that, that's, uh, that, that we weren't expecting that much that quick, but we're very excited, obviously, um, to bring to market a new idea, a new concept, not a Me Too. I wouldn't have been... I wouldn't have been at all interested um, if it wasn't, uh, you know, a high performance product, the product quality, it had to be better uh, or, or why do it? Um, education had to be a key part of it. And of course, a business model um, that wasn't built necessarily on, on just profit and greed or, or, or whatever the other motives might be that are elsewhere um, in businesses, period, because I'm not talking about just our industry, I'm just talking about our and this gave us a unique opportunity to be hairdressers, thinking about hairdressers, salon owners, thinking about salon owners, and really trying to, to find that, that place and how to do it. We also, you know, a lot of what we, we thought about larger tubes, the environment, less plastic, less packaging, um, and also less time on the line, filling line. So we, we would pay less for that versus smaller tubes and, and more time. So we, we tried to think about environmental. The virtual model takes all that carbon footprint uh, of all those cars with with reps going in and out of salons, which which they were probably you know effective for three days of the week rather than really five days a week because salon owners and stylists didn't really have time on on the busier days to to be able to have reps and uh, and the reps themselves were were maybe seeing three or four salons a day you know with the virtual you know what we're doing right now and, and being able to talk and see each other this way. I mean, it's just so much more effective and somebody can see seven or eight people for business purposes using Zoom. You know, for dinner, I want to come and see you and I want to, you know, have dinner with you and I want to talk to you about all the things that are important to both of us. But that's different, you know, and I, right. and different. I can't do that through Zoom and get the same effect. But I can be really effective on Zoom doing business. I can totally do that. That's great. Well, I'm so excited because you had hinted uh, earlier when we spoke about your um, your new venture. So I can't wait to. Uh, I'm gonna. Matter of fact, where can I go online to look it up and, and look more, find out more about it? Um, you can go to colorspacehair.com. All right. And then, of course. Um, hopefully we're going to be uh, a hybrid atelier in April. So maybe you can do a little presentation at the atelier. You know, we want to. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah, we're very excited. Um, you know, we, 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 uh, we would have done it in October had all this not happened. We probably right. would have, we probably would have been ready to do it. Um, but uh, we're, we're very excited. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the new brand company is called Collective Beauty Brand. So one of the things I just want to say here, I have the opportunity I'm going to share with you that um, this is only the first brand coming out and that 
in seven months, we have another baby coming out. So there's something else happening too. So we will have an opportunity to share all that at our atelier and be very excited. Perfect, perfect. Well, I am so excited um, about what you're doing and about what you've done and what you've given back to the industry. But best of all, I'm so happy you're part of Intercorfier America Canada. And uh, now that you're on our board, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure working with you. And uh, I can't wait for us to get together. I can't wait to see your, your new baby. And uh, I cannot thank you enough for always being willing to share and also for being on this podcast. Like I said, it's gonna be open to the whole industry. So it's gonna be uh, pretty amazing to see where we are in another year. I'm excited about 2021. Yeah, me too, Sheila. You know, I, I'm super excited, and I want to thank you uh, for your leadership on the uh, on the uh, Intercoffure uh, team, this board of people. I, I really, uh, really enjoyed. I, I love the atmosphere of, of Intercoffure. I love how willing everyone is to help each other, to share the support level. I, I've never seen that anywhere. You know, I mean, I came from a great network, but Intercoffure is really, really special. Really special in that sense. Uh, I, I really am enjoying it. I, I'm learning probably more than I'm probably providing back because it's so new to me, but I'm hoping that uh, I can give back even more and help out. And uh, 2021 is, is going to be just fantastic for all of us. Yeah, I think so too. I think our industry is going to start going up. And I think the salon owners, uh, you know, I always felt like that Somehow or another, we gave up our industry as the leaders because we're the recipients of the schools. We're recipients of the products. We're the actual group that should be driving the car of the industry. And so some unknown reason, we got so busy in our own businesses that we didn't stay in control of the industry and, um, and be a part of it. And now I think Intercofure has become the voice of the industry and I think salon are going to grow in the next two years. I think we're going to see a lot of maybe the, the independents looking for team-based involvement, um, how, to, how to maybe become more uh, specialized in a field and you know and I know if you just want to be a colorist that's great but you got to work with a team that has some good cutters you know to complement that consumer that's coming into you. So I really think that now uh, with all of this, I think it's made uh, Intercoffure become stronger because of the leadership within our organization and the inclusiveness of warning other people that no matter what level they are in a salon, but to be a part of us. So I think we're gonna grow. And I think that we will be driving the, uh, in the driver's seat of the industry in about a year or two. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I'm very excited. It's a kind of a little bit of a renaissance in a sense too. You know, it's really a, it's such a vital energy right now. And there's going to be a need as well. There's going to be people that are really going to be reaching out that are going to really need support. They're going to need uh, inner coiffure in a different way. You know, I think uh, its purpose is probably, you know, very timely. Um, right. Now more than ever. Uh, and as you said, there's so many different, I think um, new models of business that will come out of this. I think that the, the, the you know, the group pay, even the partnership concept, um, you know, where we've seen in, in many other, other professions, we see partnerships in, in you know, in, in law firms, for example, you see partnerships. 
you can grow to become a partner. And there's always been uh, groups that have played around with that concept and, and done it. But I think more than ever, um, I think that uh, particular concept is going to become more attractive because I think, you know, for salon owners who, who've been, you know, as we say cyclical, every five years, if you're rebuilding your salon, if you're losing people every five to six years or every seven years, whatever your cycle might be, at some point after the third time you've had to rebuild it, which meant you made money for two years only to lose money for three, to make money for two, to lose money for three, you get tired. And, and you get, I mean, that, that fatigue, um, I, I think, uh, you know, it's disheartening and then culture starts to break down. And I've seen, you know, I, I, I've been four decades here. I've seen that over and over again. So I think the model has to be, you know, re-examined sometimes too, not everywhere, but I think there's, there's an opportunity for certainly a little bit more variation, um, depending on what kind of leader you are and, and what kind of culture you want to build, but a, uh, maybe a, a bit more of a collective approach. Uh, certainly, uh, most of the youth of today want to have a voice in how things right. are. So if they want to have a voice, I think they should have an opportunity um, to, to also, uh, you know, um, have a part of the responsibility. Because it's just a voice is easy. But a voice and the responsibility alongside with that uh, sometimes helps the evolution of the thinking of the individual. So, I mean, uh, I think it would be something to look at for sure. I, we, I was talking to someone the other day, they were saying, you know, I have uh, six uh, stylists, I lost four. That's, you know, 40% of, of their revenue. And they're, and they're, they're down an additional 25% just on straight uh, dollars from the year before. So, you know, and they were asking my advice and, you know, obviously I always talk about the, the five key drivers of successful business. And one of them is always having a feeder system, always having people in training. That's an investment that's always, it's, you need to factor that into your business model to have a feeder system. And so I was saying, you know, what's your feeder system? And, and again, well, we didn't bring them back because we didn't want to spend more money. And so we lost the three people we had and we, you know, we're not using assistance and so on and so forth. Um, but if, if you don't have a feeder system, uh, you know, that's a problem in and of itself. But having people uh, have the opportunity at least to elevate themselves professionally and giving them opportunities, I think is going to become very important in the future. I do too. I do too. Well, I thank you for your time today. And I can't wait to see you in April. By the way, I'm going to put a little plug about where we're going to be. You know, you know this because you're on the board, but we're going to be in Memphis. Uh, simply because of the financial, we uh, have enough contacts here. I don't have to sign a contract in advance. I can sign a contract 30 days out and I've got the uh, space on hold. So, you know, <laughs> there I, you I'll bet you there's a lot of people who have never been to Memphis, myself included. I've never well, been. I'm so excited to come. I'm really excited. If you like music, barbecue and um, uh, rock and roll, then you're going to love Memphis. <laughs> Um, so, I look forward to uh, seeing you in April, and of course, I will be talking to you uh, soon. But thank you for your information. Thank you for being a part of this podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Right. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thank you for joining us for the ICA Podcast 9 podcast. Be sure to tune in next week for more industry insight and information. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast too and share it with your friends in the industry. 
Our only goal is to bring people together and share information with those that need it. Intercoiffure America Canada is proud to be the voice for salon owners. For more information about us, visit intercoiffure.com. That's intercoiffure.com.